to Pop the Question, a podcast that exists at the intersection of pop culture and academia. We sit down and talk about our favorite stuff through the lenses of what we do and who we are. From Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University, Dr. Melinda Lewis here. I'm your host. We're here with Grace Kim, a native Philadelphian who now works in New York as a tailor and has worked on garments for the likes of Rihanna, Mahershala Ali, and Lucy Liu, and even worked on A Quiet Place with John Krasinski. Hey, Grace. How are you? Good. How are you? I just realized as I was researching that I really don't know what a tailor does or is. Good. I have a lot to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) But the image that I do have of tailors is from like the late 80s and early 90s, where Richard Gere was always getting his inseam measured in an Armani store by By some like elderly Italian man. It's always an old Italian man um, who's like fiddling Mm -hmm. with the the measuring (laughs) tape. Uh, There's a Friends episode about... Bad touch, yeah. but it's a comedy. How long do you want the cuffs? Oh, at least as long as I have the pants. <laughs> but what is the role of a tailor? Like, what is? It's not measuring inseams all day. Sometimes it is, but as a freelance tailor in working in fashion and then in the union, so it that allows me to do TV commercials, TV shows, and movies. I'm not hired to do work necessarily. I'm hired just in case there is work to be done. But most of the time, what I'm doing is taking the product, which is like H&M clothes or Levi's jeans, and making them fit on a model, Mm -hmm. sometimes only temporarily because they need to be shared amongst all of these departments to hit all of their advertising marks. Like, we need to do this kind of photography, this kind of videography for social media, for billboards, for in-store. And so sometimes they need to be kept whole. So the work that I need to do on it needs to be very cleverly concealed and then undone and returned to its original state. Other times, I'm just like ripping things apart and putting them (laughs) back together again because we only have three minutes. So it really runs the gamut. I I could be working on a $50,000 gown, but it's going to go on this actress for an award show and it needs to be perfect 360 degrees. So I have to figure out where to hide this and that, the extra bulk at the hip, and then undo it and return it back to the company in its original state. So what I've interpreted is that you're kind of a fashion EMT. Kind of. I sometimes consider myself a plastic surgeon Mm. of clothing because I'm making it look better. So I'll, on fashion jobs, I'll work with a stylist. The stylist has many little assistants who are basically human beasts of burden. They're carrying (laughs) heavy bags. So they bring the clothes, whether it's all from one company or whether it's from a bunch of different companies, then the talent comes in, whether it's a model or an actress or a singer or whatever. Usually it's like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna fit like eight things and then only choose two. So it's still a whittling down process. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I work on movies and TV, it tends to be more concrete. And it's usually just working on one thing to make it perfect. And uh, for movies, TV, and commercials, because there's multiple takes and maybe there's food thrown on the person or they're going to get, you know, splashed with water. Who knows? <laughs> I have to do that to two, three, four, sometimes five or six or seven of the same exact thing. So they have a, a clean set of clothes to do take two and take three. So how do you discover that that is work that you want to do slash like to do? Well, since I was a little kid, I realized that I have this 
love of tedium. Um, <laughs> and it, How old do you discover that at? Like five and you go, tedium, uh, this is it. It was just something that I always did. Hmm. And then I found out this word tedium and I'm like, oh, that is me. <laughs> that is what I like to do. It, I think it stems from me growing up with being watched by my grandparents, my, mm-hmm. my dad's parents. And my dad's parents lived through Japanese occupation and the Korean War mm. as young adults. And my grandmother was basically a homemaker at that time. Growing up with her in Philadelphia in this tiny apartment, or just being babysat, mm-hmm. she would allow me to help her prepare food, and we'd be squatting in the kitchen and picking off the, the long tendril root of a soybean sprout. Mm. And we would do that for every sprout that was going to then get steamed and then dressed. Um, that's the thing, this like very meditative, rhythmic, uh, repetitive process of like just ripping the root off in a very careful way mm-hmm. to not damage the rest of the sprout. <laughs> I know, it's really, uh, it's really intense. Um, I mean, but it makes sense as like a starting point to understanding like the work that you do and how that thread of tedium might work through. Um, when do you begin to pick up the needle? When I was probably about 10, mm. I asked my mom for a sewing machine for, for my birthday and I got one. And so I'd grown up working for my parents in their dry cleaners downtown, uh, right next to the Liberty Bell. And mm. uh, I was handling customers, bagging clothes, uh, tagging things, checking pockets. So I was always around sewing and clothing care, but I was never actually able to pursue it until I was able to just stay home as a latchkey kid and just like <laughs> tinker around and make the same mistake like 20 billion times. Once I got to a point where I was competent enough, my mom would then come in and tell me like, oh, well, if you do this first, if you measure this first, iron this first, pin this, and then stitch it, you'll get a better, more accurate result. So I've been sewing pretty much all of my life um, for fun. And I also knit and crochet, which was something that I did since I was very young. Um, I grew up with a babysitter and her daughter-in-law was a craftsperson. And so she showed me how to knit and crochet. So, yeah, I, I learned all these, like, grandma skills. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, and from this, like, community of women, yeah. which I think is just awesome. Actually, my mom's mother was a businesswoman in Seoul, Korea, mm. after the war. She had her own dressmaking shop. So I like to think that it runs in the family. Yeah. You know? It's, like, oddly a family business. Like a family trait. Yeah. But when I... Finally got out of school. I I was working on Teen Vogue editorials and met this one tailor when I did a -A Make-A-Wish Foundation shoot. And she then passed my name along to a bunch of people during that following Fashion Week. And they were all this big tailoring group working in the basement of Calvin Klein preparing the men's runway show. And so I jumped onto that job and I met all of them. And through all of their experiences that they told me about, I skipped 10 steps of uh, professional heartache and headache. Mm -hmm. This is a freelance tailor. How do people find you? So for me, I've been lucky enough to all be word of mouth. Hmm. So I worked with this person and I've worked with this stylist and that producer and then that producer worked on another job. And now it's to the point where I work for specific companies as well. Hmm. So they'll hire me regardless of who the creative team is. It's been awesome. I guess then what is your philosophy to create a more like, like don't dismiss my work. You just have to work for the right people. 
because in fashion, there's no standard to anything. Mm. People are doing things that are not their job description all the time. Well, I just think that is indicative of how we treat labor in general. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And I find a lot of times, because professionally I do something that was for a very long time considered women's work, and it still kind of is, Mm -hmm. people disrespect my tools all the time. People will put their, like, lunch plates and their sodas and whatever on my ironing board. I need this. Yeah. Yeah. And and they'll pick up my scissors, which are precision tools, and, like, start to, like, cut their cuticles or whatever. You know, I mean, I'm not if, saying it happens all the time, but when it does, <laughs> but you're thinking of one specific person out of my skull. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's made me present myself a certain way in professional situations because I'm here to dispel a lot of this. Mm-hmm. That's the feeling that I want to put out there. It's your mom. I have a question about that podcast you do. Are you on the Instagram or the Twitter or the Facebook? You know, like if I have an idea for a podcast, how do I get in touch with you? Love you. Bye. Sup, mom? Uh, yeah. So you can find us on all those things, actually. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just go to PopQuestPod on any one of those and follow. If you want to send us ideas, you can either go over to our website and leave us a message at PopQ Podcast, or you can get us directly at PopQ at Drexel.edu. You can actually find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Um, I can help set it up when I get home, but then you have to promise me to rate and review. All right. Love you. Bye. I was with Rihanna on the VMAs a couple of years ago where she got like a Lifetime Mm. Achievement Award and I think she did something like four or five performances. So it was like four or five looks. And basically to do those performances, which each had giant cast, backup dancers, different sets. There's even like another creative team that's taking care of the backup dancers Mm. that has worked with the main designer, the main stylist to make sure everything is cohesive. So it was just an immense amount of work. I mean, you've worked with Rihanna. I saw that you did something with Mahershala Ali for yeah, a photo it was shoot. Yeah, a photo shoot, yeah. yeah. Do you ever get starstruck? The one time <laughs> I got starstruck. I was working on like a commercial. The guy who came in to play the grandpa, he came in and I'm like, wow, um, this guy looks really familiar. And this is all in my mind while I'm like mm-hmm. hemming his pants and making sure the waist <laughs> of his pants like fits. Like 20 minutes later, I'm like, Oh my God! <laughs> he played the duplicitous taxi driver in one of my favorite movies of all time, Total Recall. So, where to? Last resort. <laughs> You're getting off to an early start. First time on Mars? Yes. Well, uh, actually, no. Well, sort of. <laughs> Damn, the man don't even know if he's been to Mars or not. Of course, my face completely <laughs> placid. But in my mind, I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. <laughs> of course, I didn't say anything to him. No, you, I mean, yeah. And I think a, another part of it, I worked on A Quiet Place. Mm. But on that film, I worked with John Krasinski. And um, there were moments that, because he's famous from that show, The Office, mm-hmm. where he plays this, like, 
just like a normal guy who works in an office, you know? <laughs> so that it wasn't so much me that had this experience with him because I was just like, oh, yeah, he's like another actor. You're a person. But other people that I worked with who are like, we're definitely <laughs> starstruck and big fans. I don't think any of them actually know my real name. And I realized, you know what? This is a professional environment. Hmm. I'm a professional here to do a certain thing. They're a professional here to do a certain thing. They will be the end result. They will be the one on camera. But this is an interaction of professionals. Hmm. So there's no room for that. I mean, a lot of times, like, I'm working with people whose faces are going to be in close-up on screen hmm. or somehow scrutinized, you know? So there must inherently be an incredible anxiety that goes along with that. Mm -hmm. And that you must, like, professionally have to force a lot of that out. So a lot of times I give these people huge benefit of the doubt. I don't know what state of mind they're going to be in. I don't know what their acting technique is going to be, you know. So out of sensitivity towards another artist, I usually, like, stay away. Mm -hmm. And then if there's some, like, chemi natural chemistry, like, I'll joke around and stuff. But, yeah. like, I'm too busy sewing over there. So <laughs> Yeah. What is, like, the difference between working on, like, a shoot versus, like, a live event where, like, people right. are coming in and out? Or is there a difference? Or There's a huge difference in that, first off, space is incredibly limited behind the scenes at the VMAs at Madison Square Garden or whatever at these large venues. This superstar and their team is packed into this one room. And then when the talent goes on stage to perform, we're watching on CCTV and cheering and whooping and hollering, you know, and <laughs> celebrating. Thank you, MTV. I had so much fun. It's a weird sense of time. And to be confined in a space with no windows, crazy security lockdown, limited access to food, air, and water. <laughs> and you just, you're done when you're done. So prison. It is oddly <laughs> like a weird prison, yeah. And hmm. it can get extremely tense, and you feel everybody's feelings. How, um, how much notification do you get before those things? Very little. Some of my clients I've worked with for many years, and I'm still, like, really kept in the dark, which I think actually is logical because mm -hmm. they are such hot commodities that like they can't leak any information mm -hmm. so I see why I'm not told anything and then like the night before they're like we need you tomorrow sometime so I'm like okay so I just basically treat it as being on call mm -hmm. and that I might stay up for 40 hours doing work and waiting but it's built in you know yeah. it's built into my rate it's built into all of these things and I feel like it's very fair mm -hmm. like I don't feel put out as long as I have enough time to prepare for something, I can do anything. Hmm. And that's the nature of my job. Like, you have to put all your personal stuff aside and then immediately jump into action and be at 100%. And that's like a, a, a different kind of mindset. It requires a different kind of maintenance throughout the day. One day you're in, and the next day you're out. Um, have you ever experienced a sort of malfunction costume-wise? Is there a particular stress when watching your garments become more alive? Like when people are moving and shaking and walking, or do you just trust your ability to make something work in the moment? I have had situations where like something was extremely delicate and I could do what I could do, but then I was also waiting in the wings, ready to fix mm -hmm. it if anything came apart or whatever. Or if, like, God forbid, a heel goes through the bottom of a gown, something mm, like that. Yeah. So uh, because a lot of times these clothes and these costumes are really unwieldy 
and it's a talent in and of itself to deal with them and move in them, mm-hmm. you know. So a lot of the people I work with are extremely practiced <laughs> and very good at wearing incredibly uncomfortable things and performing in them, too. There was a malfunction that I heard of at the Met Ball several years ago. Beyonce was wearing this, like, fishtail-shaped gown. Mm. It's hip-hugging, leg-hugging, all the way down to about the knees. Mm -hmm. And then at the bottom of the knees, it has this, like, fanning out of material. And so I heard that there was a mishap where the dress was made and then altered in a way that that point under the knee wasn't made stretchy. So she couldn't walk in it. And there was no more time to fix it. This was like a genius move. Two huge bodyguards picked her up by each elbow and basically walked her up the red carpeted stairs. And it became this like immense photo op. Yeah. And made something good out of something actually very bad. I've been watching 90210. And uh, that happened to Donna at a Halloween party. She wanted to be a mermaid, and she couldn't walk. So she just sat in the corner and was really sad because she couldn't participate. Donna, yeah, your costume's really, really... Really long. Yeah. Thanks. Oh, but can you help me? I'm, I'm, I'm having a little trouble walking in this, this thing. This thing right here. Am I saying that there's a link there? No. But it's just reminding me of other things. It might have been based off of that. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised because that is like a weird detail. Yeah. I feel like uh, for for megastars, right, all the work that gets put into them, they own. Mm. When there's actually a giant infrastructure behind them that's making things available, that's making them fit, that's so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And then there's other people who are just more naturally stylish. And I'm not saying that... Mm-hmm. You know, like Rihanna isn't. No, she's she's got incredible taste. Mega talented person. Let's say she posts something. I don't think of it as like, oh, that's my work. <laughs> For me, I'm like, oh, that's her. Anybody can learn what I do, you know. Mm-hmm. What I'm doing is not magic. It's a technical skill mm-hmm. with some creativity in there that can sometimes look like magic. But you don't carry a wand. I don't carry a wand. Okay. I carry very sharp, huge scissors. <laughs> that people <laughs> steal all the time. That people will, and I'm just like, no, dude, put those down. <laughs> put those down and walk away. <laughs> Grace, thanks so much for dropping by and talking to us about your life, your career, your tedium. you're welcome it was super fun thank you so much thanks pop the question was researched and hosted by dr melinda lewis our theme music and episodes are produced by brian Cantoric, with additional audio production by noah levine all of this was done under the directorship of erica levy zellinger the deanship of dr paula morantz cohen and the pannoni honors college at drexel university I do. I honestly do. What are we talking about? Practice, man. What are we talking about?